morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible out loud together, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 20. So uh, this is interesting because uh, we actually just last week with Psalm 57, uh, just a week ago, we were talking about uh, chapters 22 and 24 when David's in a cave, and he hasn't quite gotten into the cave uh, just yet. Uh, but yet we uh, today we have actually the same guest coming back to talk about this chapter here. The, the thing that I like about this chapter, which is just so interesting, is the way that David calls calls on Jonathan to honor his oath, um, and and it's just it's really interesting the way he does it because it feels actually a little I think it feels pretty similar to the way that David in the Psalms calls on God uh, to honor his promises, and so I think it's another one of these moments where. Uh, well, you, you can you can see things line up a couple different ways. But yes, joining us again, we've got Pastor David Boyce Claire, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Welcome back, brother. Uh, just yes. after a week here, and uh, nice that we can maybe connect some of the uh, some of the dots just between these closely related chapters. Oh, oh certainly, it's really really uh, quite intriguing. And uh, you know, I think it's one of these things too where. Uh, it's another good opportunity for us to consider, well, or, 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 I mean, it's a little bit of speculation, but I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, if you if you don't stop and think about it, you're just kind of assuming whatever, you know, has occurred to you. Uh, the exact nature of the relationship between Jonathan and David, uh, because like, as I, as I was reading this and just uh, thinking this over, I just, I, I just got more and more of this impression that I, I feel like before... I used to think that it was like, well, like Jonathan and David are like, you know, chums or something. But that's, I mean, even if you do think that, that's not really the tenor of this chapter here, is it? No, uh, they're they're very close friends, and and uh, that of course is something that any of us can say are very rare in life that that we have as as close friends as Jonathan and David were, and um, and of course they're also also. Uh, is the relationship in the sense that uh, Jonathan is kind of like the one who represents the Saulid dynasty and David represents the Davidic dynasty or something. But I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, I, I prefer to, of course, the um, literal sense of Scripture rather than, you know, bringing in all of the other um, allegorical things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there is. Um... I, I do think there is something to it that there is this uh, sense in which David and Jonathan are are not just David and Jonathan, which which I mean I mean it's a pattern that you see even in in the New Testament interpretation, right? That they they are bigger uh, than just themselves, but uh, we don't want to, uh, to your point, neglect the, the kind of basic level of you know these two real people who have this role here. But uh, yeah, well, well, it'll be interesting to get into a lot of these things. Um, before we get started, though, would you start us out with a prayer? Certainly. Let us pray. O God of David, in the name of the Son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ, vindicate us and plead our cause against an ungodly nation from violent and evil people. Good Lord, deliver us. Grant that we may be led by the faithful examples of your saints, Samuel, Jonathan, and David. Guide us as we continue to read their inspiring history in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, we recall in the context here that 
uh, Jonathan in the previous chapter already was was going to bat for David. Um, Jonathan and uh, Mikal, his wife, that they both were already um, putting themselves in this intercessory role, um, speaking uh, in David's behalf. Uh, but but now it's uh, <laughs> I mean it's like more than that's going to be required. It's going to take more than just um, you know the words here. Um, anything else we ought to be thinking about uh, from the last several chapters in the context to kind of help us appreciate where this story falls? Well, one might want to uh, think of the uh, mental state of Saul. He, he seems to be um, mentally ill. If not, of course, he's being oppressed by a, a harmful spirit. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like some have argued, you know, in looking at this particular book, that you have two sources here. Do you know I have an earlier source and a later source? But but you can see that there is uh, that there is a progression of the narrative. You know, in other words, that things follow after each other. That uh, you know it, it you know Saul could have you know done all of these things, sending uh, you know of course trying to apprehend and kill David. And, and yet, and then maybe uh, those under him, people like Abner and Jonathan and so on, might feel that, that he's um, mentally um, disturbed, or, you know, in, in other words, and that, that's why then in this particular chapter, chapter 20, you know, it seems like um, everything is back as, as, as normal. But, um, you know, it, as, you look, as you look at the, um, the progression of this, uh, Saul, of course, First, it's he first of all has an animosity toward David. You know, you might wonder, did Saul know that he was anointed by Samuel or not? Um, yeah. And uh, you know, and and the other the other thing is, at first he said, well, the Philistines will take care of him. <laughs> you know, and then the Philist yeah. he's David is a great warrior and he's able to overcome the Philistines. Well, now I have to officially come out against him, and that that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, it, it, those are some good points there. Just trying to get into, uh, I mean, not necessarily get into the head of Saul, like like we're going to psychoanalyze him here. I mean, it's not necessarily helpful to try to do like a uh, like a psychoanalysis of all the characters, but just in the sense of uh, try, trying to appreciate kind of like what is uh, you know Saul's context, what is his like set of assumptions and presuppositions, what, what is he aware of, right? I mean. Uh, that is important to track in any story uh, what each of the characters is aware of and what they're not um i mean it's it's a big part of storytelling it's how you set up irony right um when, yes. when someone's aware of one thing and and but someone else isn't and this sort of thing so uh yeah no that that's that's uh those are some good things we we'll want to take a look at here uh let's let's go ahead and read through the chapter um and then we'll we'll come back around and 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 talk about you know what you know what it is like this status here of uh, of a da- of David fleeing, and we recall uh, you know it says here um, he fled from Nayoth and Ramah. We remember that he went um, he went there because that's where Samuel was, um, and so in, in in some on some level he was able to take refuge uh, under Samuel. And we didn't really have a chance to talk about that last time, so maybe we can uh, also talk about that a little bit. But uh, first, we'll just go ahead and read the chapter through. So this is. First Samuel chapter 20 here in the English Standard Version. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt 
And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. Why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says, Good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go out into the field. And they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go, find the arrows. And if I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, to, it is safe for you and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, 
Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to go there. So now, if I found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he sent to his boy, he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. I really really like uh, how it's just another one of these stories where you, um, I don't know, you you get this like, uh, this like kind of like little like peek into the drama in Hebrew storytelling, right? I mean, it seems like uh, you just can't really have stories without, um, if not deception, at least, uh, I, I don't know, kind of sneaking around or, 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 you know, being discreet or, you know, trying to avoid someone catching onto the plan. Um, and, and it's, and it's just, it's just clever, right? How Jonathan and David arrange this, that, you know, there, there is a, a plausible explanation for, for why, you know, the prince should go out into the field and start shouting to somebody, uh, no, it's time, you better hurry, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it's just very clever, and it's just a cool story like that. But it, it is, um, I think, more significantly, the way they talk about the covenant between David and Jonathan and what that entails. Um, I, I mean, just the, the promise is so central to this chapter. Oh yes, and and you know you it it this is probably from um, you know someone probably talking to David in later years you know that wrote this down or David himself uh, may have written it down, so it's like firsthand information, and and it it's like the stuff uh, that you could make movies on. And by the way, a number of films have yeah. used uh, this. Um, I you know I really enjoyed uh, one where it was. Uh, 
a film about uh, David, a story, the story of David, which came out in 1960, and, and they and they kind of had sort of a uh, a possibility that a day, uh, Jonathan was being spied upon by Doeg. Of course, Doeg mm. is, the, is going to become uh, uh, the villain, in, 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 as we see later, but he's not here. And, th- and this is not what yeah. he says in the scripture. But you, you, sure. you also can see that uh, David and, and Jonathan are, are cognizant of the fact that Saul is aware of their close friendship. And, and so then Saul will, you know, that's why David is somewhat skeptical that are you going to be able able to, to let me know everything that that he's up to right. in trying to uh uh you know apprehend me and take me in. Right. Yeah, I know it's I mean I mean it's a real it's a real problem and I mean I think it also kind of speaks to the big cultural difference of I mean just especially when it comes to communication, right? I mean like we're just you know we we in our in our heads it's like well we have like whatsapp and you know it's encrypted on both ends and you know it's like we're we're just like we can communicate with anybody as discreetly as, as can be right uh but i mean just this idea that in this culture it's like y- you need like permission to like not show up when you're supposed to like the the prince needs like a, a reason or a cover to go out into the field for some reason, or or to be oh, shouting, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, I mean, it doesn't actually directly say that. Yeah, Doeg was spying, but I mean, it does speak to this idea that you know, J- Jonathan doesn't just wander around and nobody's like there. You know, I mean, he's got he's got people. You know, <laughs> I mean, which is something right. that we we see even in in, in modern times with uh, with with rulers. But uh, yeah, you just you just appreciate anyway that in this culture, people just don't just come and go and and, and talk just just cause everything needs uh, reasons everything um, you, everyone has so many expectations upon them yeah well um, one, looking also like uh, you mentioned uh, before that um, we wanted to see more about where, where um, David went to Samuel to this Nile yeah. it's interesting the word the name Nioth means like habitations or uh, it, it's like uh, it, it kind of seemed as if Samuel was presiding over a community of prophets. Uh, all, you know, in, in other words, they were prophesying. And Nioth, of course, was like their community or, or their, where, where they were, um, you know, located as, as a source, you know, a, a, you know, somewhat like the sons of the prophets, which would uh, be established later at the time of Eli, Elijah and Elisha. Yeah. Um, and um so so then that that but again uh, you know the comment the the commentator in this case it's Kyle Dalich uh they're the two the two commentators uh they they of course say well you can't read too much into this because there's nothing that states that these these are a community of prophets but mm-hmm. but uh it it does mention that the that Nioth uh, re, like re, is is a name for a a habitation or a or some kind of structure for you know that's that's set up and um yeah. and and so obviously uh the uh, you know the refuge that david had sought there you know that's it's, he has to kind of move on from there and maybe try to get to the bottom of things that's why he comes yeah. out that's that's really interesting his background and um i, I mean yeah it, it is difficult you know again like we've been saying you know like yeah kind of what when you start asking these questions just kind of by its very nature, you're going to have to do some speculation, but it's like, you know, it, it's, you, you, you either, you either kind of deliberately fill in the blanks 
or you just uh, you just unintentionally kind of fill them in with your own kind of subconscious, you know, guesses and, and, and cultural assumptions. So, I mean, I really am. Um, I, I think I think it's helpful to like consider things like that. And then on top of that, I mean, you mentioned like uh, sons of the prophets and things like this. Um, like, like I think I think earlier actually in First Samuel we had that phrase, um, sons of the prophets. Um, and I think that it's, uh, I think I saw it was in, it was in Steinman's commentary that he was saying that uh, the, the term could uh, be used, I mean, really in a very broad sense to kind of just mean like any of the, the prophets who were kind of like in, in the tutelage uh, of, of a kind of father prophet, right? And, and this is like not really something that's surprising. I mean, we have had all kinds of institutions over the years where, you know, the, the leader would be called father for for different reasons right and and the rest would be called um his sons and so uh, of course right i mean that's it's used um in the in the roman catholic tradition right to this to this day oh yeah uh yeah father confessor or or um you know or that, or yeah. spiritual director or something no, like that i'm sorry that's right that's right we even we even use it to a certain extent so um so yeah so that's i mean it's a really interesting idea that you know he's he's uh you know seeking like basically the the refuge of of the prophets, so there's a certain kind of you know immunity or something like that, and you do see that elsewhere in scripture where uh, you you could go uh, and flee to a Levitical city, and the idea was like you you couldn't be touched there under these certain circumstances. So um, I mean it's not it, it's not like we're just totally making that up. We do see this idea um, elsewhere, but yeah, but like you said, like he can't he can't stay there um, for forever. And uh, whether that's because, you know, there's some kind of cultural expectation that like, you know, well, you can stay here, but it like you can only stay here for like a ceremony or something like that. Um, you know, and once the ceremony's over, then you, you got to go or it's like, you know, Samuel, like, hey, uh, <laughs> we, we can't have Saul like declaring war on this place uh, because you're just staying here forever or, or, or like like what you said, you know, perhaps he's like just he wants to get to the bottom of it. Um, but he goes and it says he, he comes, um, he says before Jonathan, and I think this is interesting because, uh, you know, the, the language, right. Um, where it says, you know, he says before Jonathan, that, that word before, I mean, that's the language of, um, coming into the presence of, um, I, I mean, I mean, it's like an official person right? I mean, like someone who like is in an office very often yeah. someone who's a superior. Right. And so. I, I mean, like, I don't think this is like we should take this as this is like you know David like runs away and like oh find, he he finds his friend and he's like you know hey they're they're just chatting or something but this is like you know he's going to one of the rulers in his kingdom and like this is like in some ways sort of like a you know um, an official like information request <laughs> right that, right that the, you would the ask Hebrew for word, right word is lifne. It's before yeah, the yeah, face right. of yeah, and then and then he he also invites Jonathan in the course of this interview to uh, execute judgment on him. He says, "If if I yeah. am guilty, if you find me, you know, he would even trust Jonathan and to say, mm -hmm. you know, well, yes, David, you are guilty, and so I will I will justly put you to death." And, and, you know, John, that, of course, is, you know, the furthest from Jonathan's mind because Jonathan yeah. loves David. And, of course, it's interesting that it's a fulfillment of the, uh, of the second summary commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jonathan, in loving David, was loving David in accordance with the commandment, uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, no, and, and there, and you, and you see this, this, this mutual selflessness, um, and, and we, we want to talk about that because there's an element I think that's mutual about this relationship, but I think there's also an element that, that that's not uh, just like between peers necessarily. But uh, right. it's time for our break already, so we'll have to uh, pause it there. Everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter twenty on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. This week on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Rod Dreher about a Christian response to soft totalitarianism. We'll continue our series, The Words of Scripture, discussing righteousness in the Bible with Pastor Will Whedon. And we'll get an update on the November elections from Mark and Molly Hemingway. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 20. If you've got any questions for us here as we, we break down this plea um, that David makes to Jonathan, this covenant, which seems to be in some ways renewed or, or strengthened, uh, just just very interesting, the secrecy and the promise, and what, what, what does this covenant really entail here, um, and the way that David you know falls on his knees before Jonathan asking for protection here and uh you know we'll have to we'll have to take a look at this how that just foreshadows prefigures so many things that are to come if you got a question for us and you're listening live uh, join the conversation 1-800-730-2727 or if you're in st louis 314-821-0850 you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or hop on the live stream facebook.com slash Espinosa where uh, we've got a question already about, um, you know, the early, the kind of early late question. And also um, if it is, you know, early, then, you know, would this be seen on a certain level as not necessarily in, in the bad sense, maybe if we can try to understand this in a, in a neutral sense, as political propaganda in the sense of it serves a political purpose in legitimizing uh, David's uh, rise to the throne. An, an interesting question. Uh, I mean, really, there's kind of a couple of questions in that to consider. 
Um, want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support. Their website, lhfmissions.org. And uh, yeah, and also thank our guest today, who I maybe I can like pitch this question to you here. Uh, we've got Pastor David Boyce, Claire, pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. So, uh, you know, uh, it was early on, I think, you mentioned that scholars debate, um, and one of the things that a number of scholars hold to is that First Samuel reflects a couple different layers, at least, where one seems to be rather early and one seems to be later on. Well, can you speak more to that, and particularly as it pertains to that question we got on Facebook as, um, you know, especially, you know, if, if parts of it or if all of it is from very early, how that would have been read as lending legitimacy to the to the Davidic dynasty. I mean, and it actually says in the text here a couple times, the house of David, right? Yes. Um, the earlier, uh, uh, the what is considered the earlier source was, was considered to be more favorable toward monarchy. The later source was the more negative toward monarchy. And and even if it were true that there were two such uh, sources, uh, it is only the only what we have in front of us that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, and so the you know, whoever, uh, you know, put this together, whether it was Samuel himself or or any any other author, uh, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to use these uh, sources as he they did um and and most certainly there i mean the elements in the story with the fact that uh Saul's eldest son is is uh you know a very dear friend of David's and in fact is is kind of um um abdicating you know as you, you in there was another there's another yeah. incident later on in in the uh, maybe the last time that Jonathan saw David that that he said you know I'm 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 not important um you know it, it, it you know you are the one the choice of the lord or you know you're the anointed one i don't think i that may not have been the the uh you know the conversation between yeah. them but uh that i guess it was when jonathan was with him in the forest of herith which was in in the uh south country there which is, which is where david will go to but um uh and and then you see i guess you you see the result of it in in fa- david's favor toward mephibosheth who was jonathan's son yeah. uh and 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 that he in fact he made jonathan's son a uh uh in his, brought him into his court as a counselor, and 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 you know there and when when there was the um, rebellion of Absalom, you know there there you know there there was a treacherous uh, rival to Mephibosheth who who kind of got him put out of favor, you might say. Yeah. But um, anyway, the uh, what's what's going on here is it is it, it it again shows the faithfulness of these men to. Yahweh to the Lord and and uh, Jonathan you know put your if you put yourself into Jonathan's shoes you know my father's king of Israel I'm the next in line and I'm yeah. loyal to my father I'm not a traitor and right. and but yet here here is a, a just man a man of God who is serving faithfully in his capacity as as uh, a you know one of my father's uh, captains and and he's being unjustly persecuted well, and it is really interesting the um, 
what what Saul says to his son. Um, I mean, in this in this really scathing rebuke and criticism, and uh, I, I have a feeling that the uh, the translation is uh, maybe like toning it down for the sake of modesty a little bit here. Um, but but when when Saul like rebukes. Um, you know, his son, I mean, you, you asked the question, like, so is, is this tantamount to abdication, right? Is is effectively uh, Jonathan saying, you know what, you know, like, it, it's your house, not not the house of Saul or my house. Um, I mean, that, that's, I mean, whether he means that uh, Saul is saying, well, that's, <laughs> that's what it amounts to, boy, you know, I mean, so I mean, so where, where is this here? This is uh, in, in verse 30. What he says, you know, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. I think we are familiar with those sorts of insults. Uh, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? Um, I mean, I don't know. This is, maybe we need to unpack this. To your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. And of course, in the next breath, you know, therefore send and bring him to me for he shall surely die. So, I mean, this is just very interesting because, you know, Saul is is just putting it there like, hey, Jonathan, you're never going to be king as long as David's alive. Um, and, and this comment, I guess, about, well, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I'll let you take a stab at this. What do you, what do you make of the comment about his mother and, and like what what's going on there with, I mean, is it just an insult or is it is there kind of a logic to the insult? Yeah, there's a logic to it. He's like as if you were a illegitimate child. I mean, as if, you know, as if you were a bastard. Yeah. Excuse the language there, but I mean, it, it's like. Uh, but in, in, in the a, in the technical sense, yeah. And and um, you know, again, uh, so you know, you wonder is has Saul found found out that David was anointed? You know, I mean, and and uh, is that what he's applying applying here? Um, and, and, and you just, the evil of, of Saul is just so apparent here that, uh, you know, and, and it isn't something that is brought on by the harmful spirit. That harmful spirit is an act of judgment against him with his own, um, you know, just deeply evil uh, desire to destroy someone and to destroy uh, God's anointed it kind of reminds me, I don't know if anybody's ever seen the film Amadeus, where, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this is this is all fiction, of course, but there was Antonio Salieri, who was the uh, court composer in, in, um, in um, Austria in, in yeah. the uh, late uh, 18th century, who uh, saw Mozart and, and considered him a rival, but then, and then also recognized him to be the voice of God, you know, or, or the gift of God. Amadeus means the gift of God. So he, he recognized the, uh, you know, manifestation of this, and then he was vowed to destroy this manifestation. Uh, and so in this case, it's like Saul is, is sort of like an agent of hell that is trying to destroy God's anointed one. And God, God yeah. says clearly in the, in earlier that, that he has rejected Saul. You know, Saul is, Saul is rejected. So, you know, what Saul should have done is he should have repented of his sin and, and perhaps maybe, you know, at that time ab- abdicated in, in favor of his son or, or in favor of David. Well... 
Yeah, I know. I mean, th- th- this is really interesting. And just uh, like, I mean, the comparison of just being, you know, just bent on, you know, the destruction here of, of his opponent. I mean, um, you know, you again, it's the question, you know, to what extent was he aware of, of you know, that this plot with Samuel, right? If, he, if maybe that's what, yeah, he could think of a thing like this. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, there at the beginning of the chapter, and it's kind of hopping around, but just kind of like get the logic here. You know, David and Jonathan, it's very interesting how they have this conversation. And, and, and Jonathan at first assures David, oh, no, you're fine, right? Like, don't, no, no, like, why would you think that you're going to be, you know, killed? Like, what, what? So, I mean, this is interesting because I, I do think that this then would seem to, like, imply continuity with the previous chapter in chapter 19, right? Where, where Jonathan, you know, speaks uh, to his father. And I mean, his father, I mean, let's remember, right. Actually like it makes a, makes a promise. He like, he makes an oath, right. Takes an oath, yeah. um, to, to not harm, uh, David. Um, and where, where, where was that there? It was, uh, it In, was, let's uh, see, it, it would be, uh, verse six of chapter 19. Saul there you go, to right? the yeah, yeah. Jonathan. There yeah. it is. There it is. As the Lord lives, you shall not uh, be put to death. Right. So, I mean, yeah. there, there, there seems to, uh, I mean, be some kind of con- now. Of course, like right after that, we have all, all the drama with, with Mikal, right? But, but you wonder even to what extent Jonathan was even aware of this, right? It, like, if, if I mean, oh, I, I yeah. feel like this is what David's actually implying, right? Um, where, where Jonathan's like, oh no, no, like my, my, my father would tell me if, if uh, he had, it was going to do anything, right? Um, but David's like, N- in verse three, uh, no, your father knows well that I've found favor in your eyes. So, I mean getting to this idea of no no jonathan he's gonna keep you out he's not if he makes plans against me at this point he's not including you in on it um i mean so that that's very interesting that there's that difference in knowledge too which i i think oh yes would, would speak to this idea of I, I mean like i i would i would think that this means that indeed the anointing is not something that's publicly known because right. if the anointing were publicly known if this were like public knowledge I, I think that all of this would just be, well, I mean, first of all, I mean, I think there'd probably just be a civil war. Right, um, exactly, exactly. But, but, you know, I just, I just feel like this would just play out differently. Like, you couldn't have this, like, we're, like, all keeping secrets from each other, right? Because, I, I mean, the information, the, the sense is, is it's very limited uh, what's going on between everybody here. Yes, and um, and the, the thing that what I took uh, from Jonathan— and I think you bring out a good point about Jonathan saying, you know, uh, you know, my father doesn't do anything without me knowing about it. It's kind of like Jonathan is just saying, you know, I'm, I will protect you, and 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 since I'm privy to my father's, you know, intentions and his his yeah. policies, I I will I will do whatever I can. You know, he even says, uh, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, what 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 do you yep. want to know? What do you want to? Yeah. So I mean, Jonathan is on David's side, and uh, but but Jonathan also is torn between his loyalty to his father, which he will be faithful to, to the end. Yeah. No, no, and and uh, I really appreciated our conversation. Um... You know, last time with Pastor Paul, um, who just uh, really did, I think, a brilliant job just showing how, I mean, both both Mikal and Jonathan, both very faithful um, to uh, to their vocations, right? And and there is no, you know, they've you know abandoned their father in idol worship or something like this. Um, so 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 understanding it then, 
like like this, uh, I, I think then, well, I mean, kind of going back to where we were about the, this um, the, this promise, right? This is the thing that that strikes me because uh, let, let's look at let's look at the language that David uses, right? So you were just saying, okay, he's already made a covenant, and this this is significant here. So um, back here in verses. Uh, here it is in verse in verse eight, right? This is this is David's request. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there's guilt in me, kill me yourself. Um, for why should you bring me to your father? I, I feel like this language really is indicative of like a a master servant, um, superior subordinate relationship. That yeah, they. There is a certain kind of closeness, but I think that when we when we read the word love, our heads automatically go to like, you know, their like like, like their brothers, like their pals, right? But like you got to remember that you know the Lord Jesus asked uh, Peter, right? Do you love me? In John twenty one, and, and especially in the yep. Hebrew context, love has much more of a uh, loyalty, allegiance kind of. Con- uh, yeah, kind of connotation, and you see elsewhere in, in in the scriptures where you know different kings will come before uh, David or before Jonathan, and they will say, I, "I have loved you," and all this stuff, meaning like I have been a faithful subject, right? Um, right. And, and therefore, uh, if you love me, that is to say, like if you if you have if I have favor in your sight, right, you will protect me, right? This this is like what the the love means, right? And of course, I don't I'm not ruling out that it can't have an emotional um, idea. I think in the last ch- uh, maybe in the last chapter with uh, Mikal, um, or the chapter before that, early in 18, you know, I think that, yeah, you could probably say, like, Mikal fell in love with David, but I, I think it's a secondary meaning, like, the way that we kind of use the word like, and we say, oh, like, she likes him, and it's like, well, <laughs> it's not that the word like is, like, an inherently, like, romantic word, it's just kind of like what you, uh, you know, what you intuit from the the context, but, you know, inherently, this, this word for love, I, I think this is, like, they, he's made this pact to protect David, and David's made a pact to be faithful to his prince. Exactly, and and it's interesting with about uh, when he says, you know, if if I am guilty, then put me to death yourself. It's kind of like maybe touching on the fact that uh, his Jonathan's father, King Saul, is is not in his right mind at times, and he would not be able to be a uh, unjust or rather a um, a fair judge in the situation, you know, you know, and so that it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, why take me to your father? He's a madman or something like that. And, and he's also evil. You know, that I think that there's that connotation as well. Well, I mean, so that, that's an interesting take. I, we're, I'll tell you where my mind was going. I mean, in the idea of love as the protection from the superior and the faithful obedience and submission of the subordinate, I wonder if it's a statement of loyalty to Jonathan, right? Like he's saying, you right. know, whatever your judgment is, my prince, you know, my liege, right? Like I, I submit to you because that's pretty much actually um, what Jonathan said to his father, right? Back in like, was it like fourteen, fifteen, right? Where he says like, you know, here I am, you know, in other words, um, you know, like uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a very much a word that's kind of like, you know, like, you know, my lord like you know you called you know i'm i'm here at your disposal right you know and he says you know i i'll die um 
you know, if that, if that's what you decide. So, I mean, on a certain level, I feel like this is like, a David just saying, you know, like I, I submit to your, your judgment, Jonathan, you know, like I, I'm, right. I'm throwing right. myself on your mercy. You, you decide, um, if you decide I should die, then, then kill me. I'm not going to stop you. If you think that, that really there is no guilt in me, then I would call on you then to honor your side of the pact and protect me like you promised. Exactly. And, and for Jonathan, it's just not a, there's, there's no um, deliberation about it. It, It's just what he would do naturally. It's interesting. The covenant, they use language that's similar to like between um, Jacob and Laban when uh, yep. Jacob want, want, brought his family away from Padanaram, and uh, then they built up the watchtower, and, uh, you know, may the Lord watch between us while we are apart one from the other. In other words, so because then that, that's God is a witness to our promise to each other in this covenant, in, in that respect. Yeah, no, I, I think that you see a lot of things, um, common threads about, about these covenants, right? And, and uh, just, I mean, in general, right, the biggest covenants um, in the Old Testament are, are not really ever between, like, two, like, like, people on even footing, right? Like, I mean, you got, like, you know, Abraham in a co- making a covenant with God, right? Or God making a covenant with his people. And every time it's, you know, it, you can talk about it in terms of love, but, I mean, what what it is is it's, the superior is going to protect, you know, the, the, the subordinate. So, you know, uh, you know, God's saying, you know, Israel, I'm going to protect you, or, you know, Abraham, I'm going to, well, yeah, protect you and, and ensure that you have, you know, offspring. Um, and then, you know, Abraham or Israel saying, and we will be faithful, we will obey, we will, we will circumcise, we will rest on the Sabbath, right? So it's this protection, loyalty, uh, top-down kind of kind of dynamic and um i think then that that might help in how you read uh chapter 18 because because this is you know because someone might be saying like hang on a second when they make this big covenant right well this is this was back in chapter 18 right where we had this is right after the the battle with the philistine right as soon as he had finished speaking to saul the saul <clears throat> the soul of jonathan was knit to the soul of david and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And then, and then we get the next bit, you know, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and the rest. I, I mean, I do think that Jonathan putting the clothes on David is then the part of the ritual of the covenant. It's like, hey, look, I have just said that I'm committing my, my protection to you, David, and here's a visible sign of that. Here's my clothes on you as this, you know, visible sign that you are under my wing and under my protection. Um, this idea of you know, loving him with his, his own soul, that word, right, like is literally in Hebrew, it, it means very often dying breath, right? So, I mean, it, it's a pledge of like absolute fidelity. Like I am not going to let anyone uh, kill this man. They'll have. They'll have to kill me first. Oh, it, it, I think it's a beautiful uh, picture that it gives in in such a a, a graphic language, such a such a, uh, a beautiful language that's filled with with uh, images and and um, and ideas, and and uh, I yeah I, I think that you characterized it very well in in that respect, and and um, you know and and of course it's like uh, Jonathan is like. 
in the, would be acting as God would as well, yep. you know. So, so uh, you know, God would do the same thing. You know, they, they oftentimes, when we study um, Old Testament history, we're reminded that the covenant or the bereath, a covenant is such a, a problematic word because there's like two sides to it. Um, God makes a bereath with his people, and, and it's similar to like the ancient uh, suzerain right. Treaties of some of the kings of uh, like Hatti and and Babylon and so on, uh, you know. But but it is like a and then and I think maybe a good word for love would be the word Hesed here because that has the word yeah. of you know a steadfast love that that is had by from um, the one who is the superior to the one who is right. below him. Yeah. As well, yeah, and that's and I think that's uh, actually that speaks to why that that word that you just mentioned Chesed is translated, you could say asymmetrically um, between God and and people because yeah, actually you know we talk about I, I think people are like um, even non experts are familiar perhaps if they've heard a number of Bible studies or read commentaries they, they, they're familiar with this Chesed being referred to with God. But it's also used pretty frequently in the scriptures for people as well. But th- that's just the thing, right? If if the subordinate is loyal, that means they're obedient, right? If if the superior is loyal, that means he's protecting and he's blessing, right? Right. So, right. I mean, it just what what it amounts to are different things, right? But like it kind of just shows that idea that the word itself is, as you were saying, that that loyalty and steadfastness. Um, you know, so the other thing I wanted to say, because uh, you mentioned just how you know, there's all these connections in this, you know, this image of being loyal, you know, to the last breath. I think this also connects to something we didn't have a chance to really talk about that much before. But back in chapter 19, um, early on, when, when Jonathan's trying to uh, speak up uh, in David's behalf here, it's, it's so interesting when he says this. Um, it says here, you know, uh, it says verse four and five. So let not the king sin against his servant David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. Right? And so, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's, he says that there, because this is, this is the, I think this is the same word. Um, I'm just going to double check it there. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's it, his life, it, his soul, right? So, I mean, I think the idea, right, is like David risked his life for you, O king, right? How could yep. you take David's life now? Um, and, and I think this maybe even makes a little bit of sense of what was going on back in First Samuel 18. Um, you know, there, there, there's all kinds of translations and suggestions, and people don't know what to do with it. This whole, like, knit to the soul of David, soul of Jonathan. I, I wonder if what's going on is that Jonathan sees this happen, and he's like, David just risked his life to save ours. Um, and, and maybe he thinks of it even more directly, like, because if David didn't fight this Philistine, I was going to have to. Or, on the other hand, because if David didn't fight this Philistine, my father was going to have to. And, and we've, right. we've had that played up a number of times in the chapter that Saul's old. It kept mentioning that. Right. And, and, and exactly. I feel like you don't just have comments like that, like just thrown in multiple times. I, I think in that respect... Jonathan saying, like, I owe you my life because you risked your life to save my father's life. Um, I, I mean, I mean, so this, I mean, this is like all very tied up and knit together because of this. I mean, what you could call like a, a life debt here. 
Oh yes, exactly. You know, it's interesting in the in, in when this is dramatized that where uh, Saul, you know, Jonathan says to his father, "Why should he die?" And then they, because he is my enemy, says Saul. You know, and this is in the the, uh, the film, and he says uh, he, he is the scourge of your enemies. You know, yeah. I mean, he's not your yeah. enemy. He's the scourge of your enemies. And as you just said, you know, this is, uh, you know, he's, he's laid his life on the line. And, 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 then, and, and it's surprising, too, uh, that they should bring God's hand in all of this. It was God that preserved David in the battle with Goliath. And, and ultimately, God uses uh, Michal and, and Jonathan to save David. Well, and, and so it's just very interesting how God does do this um, through Michal and Jonathan, because the charge, right, because Saul is actually saying this, I mean, you're dishonoring your mother, because if you don't get rid of David, and you don't take the throne, right, if you don't take the throne, that's tantamount to you saying that you're an illegitimate son, right? Because right. If, you, if, you're, if, if your mother has any good standing, she should get to be the mother of the king, right? Like, if she's, you know, if, if, you're, if you're legitimate, and she's, like, really, you know, the wife of the king, um, so right. therefore, it's a sin, I mean, that's what he's saying, right? I mean, it's bad. <laughs> he's saying it's a sin against your mother um, for you not yeah. to do this. I mean, it's terrible. And then he tries, I mean, he, he tries he's to just paid a commandment. And he tries to kill Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, Saul right. tries to kill Jonathan. He wants to pin him against the wall as he tried to kill David. So, I mean, like, you really just see this just echo and reverberate in all kinds of ways then, because you, you get to the New Testament, and there's all this talk about how the right thing to do is to kill Jesus— and how Judas is really doing the people a favor. It's better that, you know, they get rid of Jesus than that everybody dies. And, and, they, and they paint this, like, picture that they're sitting against Mother Jerusalem, right, if they don't get rid of this guy. But this is the man who is uh, giving his life um, for the people <laughs> that he has already saved, um, but who are actually out to seek his own life. I mean, it's just the way that Jonathan and David prefigure Christ is amazing. So amazing. anyway, a, lo a lot of things. We didn't have time to talk about the two different uh, dating things maybe next time, but thank you so much, brother. Always love our conversations. Yes. Everybody, that was Pastor David Boyce, Claire, Pastor at Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri, going on to Chapter 21. Until then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. In cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.